This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who is a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co-host chair in sunny Madison, Wisconsin. I say sunny <laughs> because, AJ, we've both uh, been reporting back, to, back and forth to one another. We've had an incredible streak here in the greater Toronto area. We're up to about 45 days in a row where I've seen that big yellow thing in the sky and i love it uh so we're getting close to the real games that are going to be played and today we finish up the last of our compliance uh, uh follow-ups to your articles aj and uh it's been a great job by you and kyle to do these things and uh how do you feel about getting through that exercise well yeah i mean it was a lot of fun um you know producing it really diving into um into those cap situations and, and playing, you know, armchair GM, I'd be lying if I said there weren't a few days where it was definitely a bit of a slog um, and trying to, to produce all that content. You know, um, when you come up with an idea like that, it's like, oh, 31 teams, that'll be great. And the first like seven, eight, nine, like are a lot of fun. And then, you know, 10 through 20 are a bit of a, <laughs> of a trial. But uh, no, I definitely I, I cracked open a beer when uh, when that went up on on Friday. That's for sure. But uh, it was fun to do, and I think the the most interesting thing is going to be watching those contracts um, come in this upcoming off season and kind of see what we got right, what we got wrong, um, and go from there. So I'm I'm really happy with it. I, I thought it was a great exercise. And a good way to, to get some stuff out there while we didn't have any hockey to watch. Well, that's right. And we're about to get some hockey to watch. But I guess you were getting looking at the finish line thinking today we're going to get to talk about your favorite club and a couple of its main rivals. So that's ha- got to be something that you've been looking for- forward to for a while. But uh, we're going to switch uh, gears a little bit in the next couple of weeks where we actually get to do some playoff previews, pal. And I'm looking forward to that where we'll, next week we'll probably tackle the Western Conference matchups, including the opening round with the top four seeds in a separate uh, bracket if you will and uh, then the following week we'll do the eastern one and then god willing we're headed toward real hockey in a couple of weeks and i'm more than excited i know you are too but uh, today off the top i want to thank you publicly for joining uh, the rotowire staff league and our unique format which we're bringing to uh, the draft uh, that we're uh, 
conducting right now. And AJ, you're new to it, but I think you've figured it out in terms of, of what this draft is all about. So why don't you share that with our listeners? Yeah, so you guys have this, this league that's been going on for a long time. Um, a couple of the owners didn't want to get into any sort of a, a playoff pool option. Um, so I picked up a team uh, just for this kind of, you know, special tournament or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we were able to kind of format for, for everybody. You were able to pick three keepers from your regular team. So in my case, the, the inherited team. Um, and then we did a draft for the, the rest of that. It'll be, you know, every night you'll pick uh, three forwards, two defensemen and, and a netminder, obviously, if you have them playing that night. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. Um, for my part, you know, uh, I only kept two of the keepers from uh, from the team that I'm that I inherited. That was Nathan McKinnon and Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, which afforded me uh, a like, you know, compensatory pick, a, a pre snake draft pick, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was me and, and one other person picked uh, picked two spots, and so. I was going to go with a netminder. You know, you got to have a couple, I think, uh, in this format. Uh, but then I, I realized Sidney Crosby was hanging out there. Somebody had decided not to keep him. And who am I uh, to not take Crosby with, with my extra pick there? So, <laughs> Paul, what was your strategy with the, with the guys that you decided to keep? Well, I, I look at the draft and I think, which of the four which of the four teams are most likely to go to the semifinal, AJ? It's the same draft strategy that I have for every playoff. I want players that are going to be playing games. And I've found in this format, I mean, when people hear my strategy, they think, oh, you're going to pick third and fourth liners for the most clubs. And I say, no, I won't have to, because the talent is so broad that uh, that 16 teams are going to be in the play eight actually more than 16 teams now they're about 24 so you're going to have lots of rosters to pick at and if I'm focusing on four teams it's very likely that I don't have to pick a fourth liner on any of those four so I'm hoping that my players play a lot of games and they play prominent prominent roles for those teams and so that's the strategy that I took going in and the three keepers that I have are from three of the three of the four teams that uh, I think are expected to go far. So that's consistent with the strategy that I've got lined up and uh, looking forward. So that's uh, it's an interesting uh, look at my strategy. AJ, what about you and your strategy? Uh, what, what might be different about the way you approach this thing? Yeah, so I, I totally agree. Um, in, in normal playoff pools, I, I will stack um, a couple of teams that, that I think are going to go pretty far. Um, unfortunately for me, that usually ends up in a Penguins or bust kind of uh, <laughs> format because I always think Pittsburgh's going to go far. Um, I did not win any playoff pools last year. I, I'll, I'll be upfront about that. Um, <laughs> But no, I mean, I, I do. I, I do kind of a similar strategy. I, I try to not, um, you know, one of the dangers I think that, that you can fall into is you see the a player available and you're like, oh, this guy's great. How is he still available? And so you snatch him up right away. And then, you know, you get a couple rounds in and, and suddenly you've got, you know, eight guys from the Eastern Conference and two from the, the Western Conference, which <laughs> doesn't make sense either. So I, I think it's important to also make sure you're breaking that up. You know, in terms of guys um, talking about that strategy, guys that are still available right now, um, we're only uh, about halfway through the the return. So we did the first, we did three keepers. There's 14 teams. We did the first round, and we're we're on our way back. But um, you know, Sergey Bobrovsky, Carey Price, Devin Dubnik are are all still available, and those are solid netminders. You know, in, in season long formats, those guys would have been gone 
a long time ago. But the concern is that you're only going to get a couple games out of them and that'll be it. Then, you know, you, you don't have anywhere to go from there. And so um, you definitely, I agree with you, Paul, you need to pay attention to that. The other thing I would highlight for these specific pools um, for this year is that you essentially are getting three free games with, with the round robin games. Um, so if you pick guys that are on those teams, you don't have to worry about them getting eliminated. You get three games that they'll play um, against the other round robin teams, and there's no elimination. So uh, worst case scenario, if they played those games and then got swept in the next round, you're getting at least seven games out of those guys. So I think it's you know important to consider prioritizing those teams that that are excluded from the the play-in contest yeah that's a great point aj and then you know we've picked over the top most of the top scoring defensemen but uh, the top scoring defenseman that remains is anthony d'angelo and that's that feeds into your point like a lot of us are passing on the rangers as a team that we might expect to go far although they were among the hottest teams in the second half of the nhl season so i expect d'angelo to go fairly soon but then Beyond that, there's Ryan Suter, Shea Theodore, and Keith Yandel, top puck-moving guys who are uh, also linchpins of their team's power play. So that's a factor for me because we do have power play points in this process. And the same thing happens on the forward side when, where if I can share some of the big names that are available, Patrick Kane, probably the, the top scorer in the regular season who hasn't been picked. But again, Chicago is that last seed. They have a very tough first round matchup. So it could be one and done for in terms of series for Chicago. And that's why I think the big reason why he's out there. But I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen people pick over the Florida Panthers. I think this is a team that is pretty solid in terms of their top six forwards and top pairing defensemen, and even starting goalie for that matter, if you believe in Bobrovsky, uh, as as finally going to get a chance to earn the salary that he's been given. He didn't have a great regular season, but uh, he does have a pedigree as one of the top goalies in hockey over the last several years so uh, I could expect a run on the Florida Panthers in the next little while I guess and uh, the Winnipeg Jets are another team that I I think hasn't been picked over too much so their top end guys remain out there on the board I think Patrick Liney was one of the most recent guys picked and I think the first jet that went in this draft so uh, those are two teams that are looking at to see if uh, they get picked over in the next little while but uh, I I do also have my eye on the teams that are in that opening round as you suggested it's uh, it's a guarantee of seven games played and and the bulk of the teams in this playoff will will not play as many as seven games i think a lot of them will play at best seven games Uh, if you look at the first round series going to get rid of 12 teams so uh, i mean that's uh, sorry eight teams so that's going to be guaranteed almost a third of the field is out of the way right off off the bat so you don't want to have your roster loaded with those types of players in your lineup for this pool as you you indicated and i did with my strategy aj so uh that gives our listeners a a look brief look into what we do outside of this pool but remaining in the hockey scene and uh, i i'm pleased to share that with our listeners hope that they have fun with their draft pools and hope that they share their draft strategies with us and draft pool formats it'd be great to talk about that in the opener of one of the next couple of weeks in our show so uh, before we carry on though please go ahead and remind our listeners of the opportunity to communicate with us yeah absolutely as paul mentioned if if you have questions you know if you're in a more traditional pool and, you, and you're between do i take this guy or that guy and in, in um, that kind of pod if you will um, we would welcome any and all of those questions if you have a format similar to ours 
Um, if you want more details on on what our format looks like, so you could set something up um, with you know with your friends, please reach out to us um, on Twitter. You can follow me at AJ Scholes two four, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman twenty two. So from there. Uh, we'll dive into where we've been the last couple of weeks, uh, last several weeks with the cap compliance series, um, rounding out uh, the Metropolitan Division. We'll cover Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington today. Uh, and then uh, that's it. That's 31 teams. So, um, you know, you can go back to our previous shows if, if your club is is one of those and, and check out the, the kind of audio breakdown that Paul and I do, or obviously go on to Rotowire. All 31 of these articles are free um available on the site and and you can check them out so for the flyers um they've got nine forwards five defensemen one netminder under contract next season uh for about 67 million they are on the hook for about two and a half million in terms of buyouts for andrew mcdonald and david schlemko uh you know with that flat cap that we're going to have next year uh, just a hair under 12 million for them remaining with eight spots to fill on the roster it starts out with a restricted free agent group that i think is going to be a tough one to figure out um you know you've got nicholas abaku uh uh, nolan patrick oscar Lindblom, robert hag and philippe myers look the the biggest decision i think that they have to figure out is nolan patrick i mean this is a guy who missed all of last season due to a, a migraine disorder um he won't be playing uh, in the playoffs here for them so that's that's another concern they're focused on you know getting him ready for next season and honestly he hasn't lived up to expectations in in terms of being a number two overall pick his numbers have been about 30 points in each of the last two seasons um or his first two seasons rather and so what do you do with that i i mean i I don't really see a situation in which the team can commit long-term to him, uh, not knowing what's going to happen. And honestly, maybe they give him his qualifying offer, which is crazy to say for a second overall pick. I I would obviously have to look back, but I doubt too many second round picks in the last, you know, six, seven years have gotten qualifying offers for their second deal. But really he needs to honestly show he can be healthy and can produce you know, Limbaum is is a similar concern after undergoing trans cancer treatments. Now he has undergone his last treatment. He did get on the ice during the phase two skates. Um, we're not going to see him in the postseason, as far as I'm aware. Um, I I doubt that will change. And whether or not he's going to be fully healthy in into next year. So, I think he's, you know, I think he's poised for a big breakout. You know, he had 11 goals and 18 points. Um, in just 30 games this past year and I I think he's ready so for him I maybe give some extra extra term on that contract you know uh, unfortunately as crazy as this sounds I think you have a little bit more certainty around his health situation than you do with Nolan Patrick even though cancer is such such a scary thing to to have you know especially in a 23 year old to to have that diagnosis so I look for him about a three-year 3.6 million dollar deal it's a raise, adds some long-term security, um, and and I think shores up uh, that position a little bit for him. You know, uh, Abiku, like did way uh, less games than, than Limbaum, or produced less in more games than Limbaum, rather, 
But I think he comes in as a more cost-effective option because I doubt he'll get a million dollars in terms of annual salary. I think we're somewhere in the two-year $1.6 million deal. Uh, Defensively, Hang and Myers are are both up-and-coming players um, that I think would have topped the 55-game mark this year and and could have pushed for 20 points apiece. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them get matching deals. I I pegged something in the area of two-year contracts that retain the RFA rights at the end of it and come in at one to one and a half million there. So, Paul, I think the biggest question for you is, is what do you do with Nolan Patrick here? I mean, do you, do you sign long-term? Do you qualifying offer? Where do you go? I think, I think because of his draft position, uh, you got to consider that it might cost you a bit of a bump over the qualifying offer, AJ, but boy, he's had such a bad run with the, the, the serious injuries that he's been dealing with uh, even right from the start of his career pretty much and uh, but I don't think you want to punt on a guy who you picked second overall so really they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do a little bit of a bump I don't think it's gonna be huge because I think the lay of the land in the NHL this offseason is one where you're gonna see a lot of players have to sign for pretty much whatever they're offered there there's very little negotiating power on their part because the salary cap is so low and a lot of teams are really strapped in terms of getting people to play uh, fit under that cap so that's something in in favor of the flyers here in terms of the two guys that that are on the long-term injury reserve to finish the the season and uh, hopefully will resume play in the near future i know lindblom completed his cancer treatments and uh, came out successfully we hope that that of course uh, continues long long way for him going forward but both of them coming off 925,000 i don't think either can make the case for as much as two so it's going to be something in that one to 1.5 uh, maybe on a short-term deal for both of these guys going forward to to uh, give them a little more runway to prove their worth and uh, show that they are recovered from their respective situations during at some point during the course of those contracts. The interesting thing for me is on the defense here, AJ. Uh, Robert Hag and Philip Myers, they're two of a, a six-pack of pretty decent defensemen. There's not too, they're not uh, beyond Provorov and Niskanen. There's not a big minute eater among the rest of this crew. And these guys fit into that range. And uh, coming off, Philip Myers coming off a entry level of 678 thousand dollars i think he could get uh, as much as a million a million two uh, on a short-term deal and i think robert hag might get the qualifying offer over his 1.15 i I don't think either one of them is in a position to break the bank but do modest increase increases because they have proven to fit into that six-pack of flyer defensemen that's a a pretty good group when you look at them as a whole Uh, the the wild card is albe kubel as you mentioned coming off an entry-level contract of seven hundred thousand dollars he at best figures to be a third line right wing on this club aj and so as such i don't think he's in a position to say i've hit a home run yet again another guy that fits into that qualifying offer range maybe a low one million dollar salary for a year or two and uh, prove it kind of a deal for him as well as the other guys in this class well, then we take a look at, at the unrestricted free agents here. You've got Nate Thompson, Tyler Pitlick, Derek Grant, Justin Braun, and Brian Elliott. I think, you know, you've got the five restricted free agents looking for deals, and, and so far they seem to be proving themselves capable. 
Um, so I really don't see a situation in which it, it makes sense to bring back Thompson, Pitlick, Grant, or Braun. Uh, these are veteran guys who can fill quality roles for an organization, but I think the Flyers need to start giving some roster spots to the this RFA group. Now, Nolan Patrick's health kind of complicates that a little bit, um, but you have some other up-and-comers in, in the organization that, that are ready for some more roles. You know, Joel Farabee, I think, is one. Um you know, Morgan Frost is is another. And so I, I think there's a, a handful of guys looking to take on bigger roles. And so I just don't see retaining uh, that that group. Now, for Brian Elliott, that's a different story. And I think it's because he really proved himself as a solid number two netminder, stepped in well for them when they had um, some some injuries uh, when Carter Hart was hurt. And I think he can be a really good mentor. You know, Carter Hart's still just 22 years of age. He'll be 23 next year. Um, and so I think the the kind of uh, threshold deal that I've thrown out here throughout this entire series, that Yaroslav Halak, one year, $2.25 million, uh, would be a great uh, addition for them and, and really shore up that, that backup spot. I don't think they have a lot of guys who are really going to compete to push uh, for, for Elliott. And, you know, you really don't need somebody in there who's even going to compete. You know, like I said, Carter Hart is, is, you know, young, but that means they're going to have him for a long time. So you keep Brian Elliott around at least for one more year and, and maybe even more beyond that. But um, he's the only one that I would keep. So, Paul, what what about you? Do you keep any of the other the other group here? I look at the forwards in this grouping, AJ, and I'll make the case for one guy uh, that you kind of panned with the others, and that's Tyler Pitlick. This guy is on the right side of 30 if you're looking at a uh, younger uh, guy out of this class. The other guys, Nate Thompson heading into his age 36 season, Derek Grant into his age 31 season. So I'm going to make the case for Tyler Pitlick. He had 20 points last year and uh, kind of insulates this team with a little bit of experience on the bottom six. So I might make the case that you retain him as one of the three forwards that is in that class that is coming off no more than a million dollar salary last year. And I don't think it'll cost you uh, uh, much more than that. Maybe he makes a lateral move just to stay on the roster at that rate and that rate of production. So that's what I see there. Justin Braun on the blue line, AJ, I think is overpaid at $3.8 million coming into his age 34 season. And I think if they could get him to take a bit of a haircut, he sticks around there. So that's the other piece of the equation. Maybe they don't have to spend $4 million to retain him, given that they have six other defensemen, assuming that they sign Hag and Myers locked up, uh, as well as the four guys that do have contracts next season to solidify that group. So uh, Braun has to see the lay of the land here and say, you know what, if I want to continue to be in, in this mix, I think I got to do the club a bit of a favor here to stick around so I could see that happening and in, and then in that it's the same deal for Brian Elliott I mean if you look into the minor leagues they may have an option that's almost ready to come into the NHL we'll get to talking about that a little bit later but uh, I think he is a valuable commodity given that he had a bit of a rebound last season in terms of his his actual on ice play he had a couple of tough seasons but I think he performed pretty admirably behind this flyer team and uh, is a good fit as you said to be a mentor role for Carter Hart and if they could get him for two million or maybe a marginal bump uh, I think they do that deal so for the the minor league guys that you alluded to Mikhail Vorobov uh, Chris Stewart Mark Friedman and Alex Lyon look for this group we've uh, sent even since the article has come out we've got some decisions already made 
Uh, Vorobov is going to go play in the KHL. Uh, Chris Stewart, who will be an unrestricted free agent, was left off the training camp roster for the Flyers heading into the postseason here. So that tells you all you need to know about his his situation. And then uh, Mark Freeman actually signed a new contract with them yesterday. Now, what I had said uh, at you know at the print time is that I thought he. Um, Still had some work to prove. He he can be an, uh, an a roster guy, um, but that he shouldn't expect much more than his qualifying offer, which would have been a one-year, uh, seven hundred thirty-five thousand dollar deal on a two-way uh, contract. Uh, slightly different. They actually gave him seven twenty-five per year, so a little bit less. But it's a one-way deal, uh, and it's two years in nature. So. Pretty much on point. I feel pretty good about that pick that he didn't get uh, some huge raise or, or anything like that. So um, Friedman signed. Stewart's gone for all intents and purposes. Vorobov is in Russia or will be. So that leaves Alex Lyon in terms of decisions here. And I think it's whether or not, for, for my money, whether or not he's willing to accept a two-way contract because he's not going to make the 23-man roster, especially if they sign uh, re-sign Brian Elliott. I think he wouldn't even if they don't re-sign Brian Elliott. I would expect them to go out and get a more established veteran. Uh, if for some reason there's just not a way to make a, a deal work with Elliott, there are a handful of other guys out there that I think are going to be looking for for new spots. And so um, I don't foresee uh, Lyon coming in and being the number two behind Carter Hart. He's just too untested, and, and you know he's he's older. Uh, uh, you know he's already. Uh, 27 or will be 28 but I still think um, you know that's not enough it's not enough to make him a veteran because that experience hasn't really come in the NHL so Paul really the only question here for this group for you is is what do you do with Alex Line? well I I'm gonna show a little more faith in him than you AJ and remind our listeners that he's had a couple of cups of coffee with the Flyers over the last three NHL regular seasons and actually has come off a couple of pretty nice seasons in the AHL so I think the the goals against average in his last 71 games is right around 2.7 mark save percentage around the 915 so those are pretty good numbers in the AHL the last couple of seasons in my view and and he's uh, got the reps in down there as uh, no worse than at least a one one B starter in the minor leagues and if they don't go out and find uh, a veteran guy, I, I think they could take a, certainly take a long look at him. But I, I do think that they will actually go shopping and see what they can find. But I don't think it's as dire a circumstance uh, as uh, plugging him in to a backup role behind a guy who I figure is going to be a workhorse here for years to come. They've got a lot of faith in Carter Hart, and so that might mean that they don't spend uh, on the free agent situation and, and go with Lyon in the backup role there. You uh, lo- talked about Vorobiev. Uh, I think that uh, it's too bad that he didn't work out in the NHL because at times he showed to be a prolific scorer at various levels in the in the league. And, uh, well, they have plenty of scoring on the top two lines. Maybe they're looking for something a little different. Uh, maybe they'll find some firepower from Morgan Frost. I have a lot of high expectations for him. He's signed for the next couple of seasons. So he stands at the head of the class in terms of the minor league prospects here chris stewart's a guy that practiced he he ran out of time in the nhl and blew several opportunities aj so i'm not surprised that they pivoted away from him 
And Andy Andrioff is down there as well uh, on a two-year deal, and I think that he is going to be one of those guys that might be among the first call-ups that should they run into any trouble. And uh, Curtis Gabriel, well, you know what? He's heading into his age 28 season and bounced around the league a little bit, was a was a depth player for Lehigh Phantoms, and I think he he factors in no more, uh, no higher than that in the NHL level. But could be some insurance, I guess, if if they want to re up for a veteran presence from their minor league contingent. But really, uh, I think their top young prospects are are locked up for for a couple of years on entry level deals still. So I don't see a lot of traction for the other alternatives on the minor league roster, possibly with the exception of Line. Well, in terms of, of final thoughts here, you know, based on all the contracts I, I kind of laid out, I would expect the team to have about two to two and a half million in cap space remaining. Look, I, I really don't think there's a lot of need for this organization in, in terms of, of where to go. They're relatively deep at, in all three positions, I think, based on retaining uh, those players. Uh, so I would stash that that extra you know, cap space to the trade deadline and, and see what might crop up in terms of positional needs. Look, if they want to get crazy here, um, depending on how they feel about the development of Samuel Morin, who's dealt with some knee injuries, so there's certainly a concern there. But if they feel like he's ready to step in to at least be a, a sixth or seventh defenseman, they could certainly consider moving Shane Goss's bear. It's been something that's been talked about for a while. Um, his production level at time has really dipped. He found himself a, as a healthy scratch for a couple games this season um, due to you know uh, concerns from the coaching staff on, on his overall game. And that would give him about uh, an extra four and a half million in, in cap space there. And then you know then you could decide to go out on the free agent market. Unfortunately, I think Goss's bear has done enough damage. Uh, to his trade value that I, I don't know that you would get enough in terms of return um, to make it worthwhile. So really, it's just if you really feel like you need to dump that cap space, but it's not necessarily a move I would make. Uh, Paul, do you have any any final thoughts on this club? You know, you mentioned that Gosses Bear contract, uh, the appetite for somebody to take on $4.5 million for a, a declining asset such as him is got to be very very thin so that'd be a real tough sell unless maybe they they accept very little in return but uh or maybe even throw a pick themselves the way of the receiving team that's that's one way that that could work i suppose but i'm thinking it would take a first rounder to get anybody to bite on gostas bear uh, the what the version we've seen in the last couple of seasons so uh in terms of uh, offering flat cap flexibility it's a deal like that that teams have to look at around the league and that's probably one of the better options uh, that the Flyers could entertain if if somebody was willing to go on it but I don't like their chances AJ I think they're going to be hard up against the cap and uh, uh, the squeeze is on here to get it done well finally Paul we get there how how I ran a series that the Penguins were the 30th team to be covered I'm not really sure but um, you know I, I let those poll results kind of push it and and you know uh, P for Pittsburgh is towards the end of the alphabet too so I, I, I set myself up for failure on this one but uh, we finally get in to the Pittsburgh Penguins here uh, who will have 10 forwards, six defensemen, no goaltenders under contract for next season, coming in at uh, a little bit over $68 million. Uh, that cap space would leave them with about 13 and a half in seven spots to fill on the 23-man roster. Uh, you look at the restricted free agent group, and it is a large group to consider. So I will start 
uh, with just the forwards here, and then we'll get into the defensemen and the netminders. Uh, up front, you've got Evan Rodriguez, Jared McCann, Anthony Angelo, Sam Lafferty, and Dominic Simone. It's a huge group, but there's a very clear priority for this team uh, among that, and that's Jared McCann. Um, the coaching staff loves him. The front office loves him. And really, I think he would stabilize that third-line center position for the first time in a couple of years, honestly, since Nick Benino was with the team during the, the Stanley Cup runs. You know, as far as a comparable deal, I look at the five-year, $17.5 million deal that Lars Eller signed back in February of 2018, and I think that's really a good benchmark for McCann in terms of timing that locks him up through age 29 and really, uh, again, solidifies that spot. The other thing is McCann is a pretty flexible player, um, and so if for some reason they needed to move him to the wing um, or, you know, uh, Jim Rutherford is always making deals, always making trades at the deadline. And so if they brought in, if they had, you know, concerns with some wingers, uh, you know, next year and wanted to move McCann to the wing and could get in a third line center at the deadline, like a flexible player. But uh, but ultimately, I think he'll be their third line center and, and really great uh, long term ad for the club. Honestly, you know, you look at that trade with Florida, and I, I think when I initially looked at it, I thought Nick Bugsad um, was the focal point of that deal. Not that I had anything against McCann, but I just thought Bugsad was, you know, a bit more the established player was going to be this long-term piece, and that has not been the case at all. Uh, McCann really has become the focal point of, of the additions. As far as the other guys, you know, Lafferty proved himself, I think, as a capable fourth-line player. And I think that warrants a, a, a little additional money and, and some extra term. I looked at a two-year, $1.8 million contract that, again, also retains that RFA rights at the end. Um, I think what you do with Dominic Simone depends on whether or not the, the organization decides to keep Connor Sheary around. And we'll touch on that with the unrestricted free agent group. Um, but Simone's finishing touch is, is lacking, to say the least. He's just not a goal scorer. But what it does help him is he is a player that Sidney Crosby loves to play with. Um, his, his speed, his, his instincts and ability to you know, get the puck to Crosby um, is something that's, that Sidney Crosby really likes. And look, if you read anything, Sid the Kid is not a, an easy guy to play with necessarily. He has a specific guy uh, type of player that, that he likes, and Dominic Simone fits that mold. So I think you keep him around for, for at least another year on a $1 million contract, very similar what, to what they gave Zach Aston Reese uh, as well. Look, another player that I think is possibly linked to Shiri is his former Buffalo teammate, Rodriguez. Um, I think it will take a really strong postseason um, by Rodriguez to, to warrant them even considering it. But then the problem is he's arbitration eligible and his qualifying offer would be at minimum what he's already making, which is $2 million. Um, and that's that's a sizable chunk of money for a team that's hard up against the cap uh, like the Penguins always are. But I do think an offer around $2.5 million for two years um, you know, will it'll take some finagling with the roster. Again, I'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, but I, I think they can find a way to fit him in uh, to this group. Now we get into the blue liners and the net miners. You've got Yuso Ricola, Matt Murray, and Tristan Jari uh, as that group. Uh, look, John Marino has been 
a, a wunderkind, uh, for lack of a better term, for Pittsburgh. Uh, and I think that just makes Ricola expendable here. I would expect to see him traded off um, at some point here. I don't envision a chance where he makes really even the top six with this team. Uh, heading into next season, you know, you've got a guy in Chad Ruedel that the coaching staff really does like. Um, and so I, I just don't see him sticking around a uh, long term here. Now we get to the net minding. Uh, you know what? Actually, Paul, I'll throw it to you. I'll let you talk about the, the forwards and the defensemen here first, and, and we'll push off the net minding decision just a little bit longer. So uh, biggest question for you uh, is shoring up Jared McCann. Do you think that five-year, $17.5 million deal that I highlighted, is that fair? Is it overvalue, undervalue? What do you think about that one? I'm thinking it's it's a slight overpay. And again, uh, because of the landscape that I described earlier around the flyer situation, I think the same applies here in Pittsburgh. They've got their long-term guys, big pieces locked up. And so the other guys kind of have to fall in line and they have very little wiggle room and, and negotiating power in this landscape. So I think I'll, I'll surprise you by saying I think they get McCann for a lot less than the figure that you quoted. But uh, in terms of the value to the club, you defined it very, very well. They haven't really locked down that third line center position since the departure of Nick Bonino. And, and McCann certainly did that. But he also is great insurance for a top six role. He's moved to the wing a couple of times in emergency situations where they ha- where had bumps and bruises to others in the top six roles. And he fit in beautifully there. And so I think, I think he comes in a little bit cheaper than you suggest. I'm going to say 2.5 per season on a four-year deal for him is is probably going to be uh, the bargaining point. And uh, he's heading into his age 25 season. If he he's figuring that the cap will rise in a few years, maybe he signs a two-year deal in that range and then hits a bigger payday once the the shackles are off the salary cap limitations. I I agree with you in terms of your assessment on Evan Rodriguez. Despite the fact he's a two million dollar coming off a two million dollar salary, he really he really greased the skids on his departure uh, from the Buffalo scene because he didn't grab a second-line role here. And I don't think he's going to have a shot at a third-line role in, in Pittsburgh, AJ, because you mentioned some of the other guys that are even on this list who, who could threaten to take a role, like Dominic Simone, Teddy Bluger. These guys rank higher than Rodriguez in my estimation. So he moves down in the pecking order. And I think to stick around here, he, he has to take a haircut from that $2.5 million level. Otherwise, he's going to be seeking employment elsewhere in my estimation. Uh, the other restricted free agents among the f- top forward ranks, Sam Lafferty and Anthony Angelo had cups of coffee with the club last year and uh, coming off entry-level deals deserve to be re-signed, I think, because they provide pretty good insurance and I think you can get them for both for around a million dollars a piece. So that's the way I see that uh, landing. Dominic Simone, I think, deserves a bump over the, the qualifying offer uh, coming off what he's done for this club. And you mentioned the affinity that, uh, the affinity that Sidney Crosby has for this guy as a, as a line mate is going to work in his favor. So I think he could look at probably doubling the $750,000 figure that he's coming off of and could be the highest paid player of this group, save for McCann, as I outlined. And then uh, on the back end, you see Yuso Ricola at $850,000. He is no better than the eighth defenseman, as you suggested here. So really, negotiating power is limited for him. If he wants to stick around, it's the qualifying offer or bust for me. Well, we'll get into those netminders now. And look, I think the only really clear thing uh, heading into the offseason for Pittsburgh is that they can't keep Murray and Jari. There's just no way 
uh, it's going to work. And that means Casey DeSmith is going to be the backup to whoever takes over. It's kind of an interesting situation for the Penguins to be in. We know who the backup netminder is, but who the starter uh, is a big question. Look, coming out of training camp last fall, Jari was given the number two job, not necessarily because he outperformed DeSmith, but because he was cheaper and the Penguins needed to fit under the the salary cap for for opening night. Um, You know, I think with the fact that Murray's name is twice on the Stanley Cup, I think no doubt he's going to want a raise above the uh, $3.75 million that he's currently earning. And that's already going to be difficult to fit under the cap. You look at the numbers this season, Jari's numbers were slightly better in terms of record and save percentage. And Murray just has never been a consistent player for the team during the regular season. You know, postseason uh, has been his time to shine. So I honestly think the team could uh, get Jari to sign almost the exact same three-year $11.25 million deal that Murray signed back in 2016. And then I think Jim Rutherford gets out his Rolodex and lets the league know that Matt Murray is available. Look, I think the... The biggest, uh, you know, quandary on that is what happens hypothetically if the Penguins win the cup this year and Matt Murray is the starting netminder? I think that creates even more, uh, you know, confusion around this, that he would then be a three-time Stanley Cup champion with baggage during the regular season. What are they going to be able to pay him? But does that also bolster his value on the market to be able to trade him for something um, so it, it, there's nothing, uh, you know, as sure as I am about some of the other stuff that we talk about with the, the Penguins um, on, on this roster kind of shuffle. This is where I'm the least clear. I think it's going to depend on what happens in the postseason. Um, but ultimately, if I had to lay some money down on it, I would take Tristan Jari uh, to be the one that gets signed and retained by the club next season. Paul. What say you? Uh, who is going to be tending the twine for Pittsburgh next season? Well, it's it's really up in the air, as you suggest. But I want to ask you a question that might help me with my answer or at least confirm what I'm thinking. I'm hearing that Matt Murray is the goalie they're going to lean to to start this playoff. What do you think? That is that? the same thing that I've heard right. as well, that all indications are Matt Murray will get the start night one, but I imagine it will be the shortest of leashes. <laughs> well, and, and this helps me shape my answer then, AJ. I think this this is a, a, a great way. If, if it turns out well and they win the cup or go far, it'll that Murray's value around the league will be viewed a little bit differently than the regular season that was just completed. It was not a, a top season for him statistically. He was outperformed by Jari, as you suggested. He, the, he, they're both coming off uh, the final years of their contracts. Murray's contract last year was $3.75 million. Jari, 675000 Now, I think you can certainly make the case that Jari outperformed him, as you suggested, and deserves a sizable raise over that, that figure. But does that raise get dampened if he takes a, a seat at the end of the bench while Murray goes on an extended run? That could be a ploy that Rutherford employs here to possibly look at a way that there might be a way to squeeze both of them in 
but that would require Jari taking a real hit in terms of the prospective salary that you described. I think he he should get something north of 2.5 million based on what he's shown last year as a go forward position. But if he does, if you give him that much, I think you you made the case it's hard for Murray to stick around. So the the gyrations on the salary cap in Pittsburgh certainly going to focus on the goalie situation and it could be impacted by the way they're deployed in these playoffs so it really bears watching and i don't have a clear idea how this is going to turn out aj i do think though that you're right that casey de smith is looking at it going i have a real shot here to be the second stringer next season to one of these two guys yeah absolutely and i honestly uh if you look at the cap numbers from the start of the year i think if the salary cap had been 81.6 million uh, that Pittsburgh probably would have kept to Smith uh, heading into the start of last season. It really was uh, a matter of that that cap hit just being ever so much more, uh, you know, really being a, a factor there. So we'll take a look at the unrestricted free agents. We have the aforementioned Connor Sherry, uh, Patrick Marlowe, and Justin Schultz. Uh, I think there's no player uh, with even considering those goaltenders there is no player whose future with the organization more heavily depends on what happens in the postseason than Connor Sherry um, this is his second go around with the club they they traded him to Buffalo and then traded him back um, there wasn't a concern about performance on, on why he was getting traded away it was merely a, a cap move um, they sent uh, you know Hunwick a, as part of that deal to, to save some money so um, you know that trade came after his 23 goal performance in in 2016-17 uh and then he's he signed um he signed his his current deal um and the trade came one year into that so it's been three seasons since and he hasn't gotten back over the 20 goal mark or the 40 point thresholds in his time with buffalo and i i really think uh he may be better suited uh, you know, looking at his future, you're talking about a depressed free agent market. Um, his best years have come with Pittsburgh. So is he better off staying here for maybe a slight discount if that means he's going to be back on the top line playing with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel? I mean, what better spot could you hope for uh, in terms of a, a player like him? You know, I think a two-year, $5.5 million deal should be amenable to both sides. It gives him the opportunity to prove that, you know, the time in Buffalo was the time in Buffalo. A lot of guys have seen their careers kind of take a hiccup playing for the Sabres the last couple of seasons. So, um, you know, I I think that's maybe where this will end. I would be surprised to see anything north of two years in, in a deal for Connor Sherry. But again, it depends on what he does in the postseason. If he comes out and completely legs and lays an egg, well, they can have Dominic Simone play on the top line and not score. I mean, that's <laughs> easy enough for them. Uh, look, uh, the reason Marlowe, you know, made the move to Pittsburgh was giving the team depth when they were dealing with injuries and giving Marlowe a chance to lift the cup and i think they certainly we probably would be willing to bring him back on a veteran you know minimum deal um i see him kind of being the new uh matt cullen on the organization really um but i would imagine it's it's one and done with pittsburgh he'll make his run this postseason see if we can get there for him um, and then that'll be it and i i've had a lot of people speculate that after it's over he will re-sign and head back to san jose 
um, which wouldn't be a, a shock to me either. Defensively, I think Justin Schultz cost himself a lot of money this year with a really bad 2019-20 campaign. But even at that, I think he's just not going to be affordable for Pittsburgh, You know, especially given the fact that Marcus Pedersen's five-year extension kicks in next season. Um, So really, for me, it could be none of these guys come back, but I think Connor Sherry is the most likely uh, one of that group. So, Paul, uh, what do you think ab- about that uh, that prediction? You know what? I, I like it, AJ, and I think uh, coming on the heels of our discussion of the goalie situation, his performance could impact their decision-making in that position as well. If they're going to spend money to keep Sherry in the mix as a top six forward, there's no way that they can afford to keep both the goalies in this mix, and I think that makes Murray's position a little more precarious. I think they they do like the way Tristan Jerry did come on the scene in a big way last season, took a big jump, and, and I could see them pivoting from Murray if Sheary has that outstanding playoff run that you're suggesting, uh, particularly as it will be on the flank of uh, Sidney Crosby, who certainly is motivated coming out of this this quiet period that we've all endured. So uh, that's one look. Marlowe clearly in a victory lap situation, and I agree with your call there. He will not extend a stay in Pittsburgh, I don't think. Uh, and, and if he does stick around the league, it'll be back in San Jose on that veteran minimum, as you suggested. He's got strong ties there, and uh, the family it didn't move with him to this Pittsburgh situation. I think, I think uh, that's a telling sign. So uh, the, the way on the defense that you've described, Justin Schultz's situation too, I I in lockstep with you, AJ. Five point five million dollars. He didn't return any, anywhere near that value, and uh, has hurt himself in terms of the way he ranks among his peers in this group in a big way. So I I don't see him coming back at all. And uh, the money that they're not spending on him will be sprinkled among the RFAs and UFAs, as you suggested here. There's a lot of other options that are younger and uh, key decisions to be made. And uh, Justin Schultz just put himself near the back of the line in terms of people looking for a renewal of of terms with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, in terms of the minor leaguers, uh, there's really only one guy that got into an NHL game last year. That's Adam Johnson. He's been a bit player throughout his um, you know, time with the, the organization. Um, I think maybe he gets a, a slight uptick on a two-way deal, and that's really going to be it. So I'll dive right in uh, to final thoughts with the organization here, Paul. And look, in order to even make the deals I outlined above, not you know keeping Jari, letting Murray go and, and all of that, uh, I think they need to part ways with Nick Bukesad, and I think that's probably going to happen regardless of everything else that could obviously a trade would free up the entire 4.1 million dollar cap hit but uh you know it's just not i don't see the market there for it i don't think pittsburgh's going to want to give anything away um to make that work and so i really think a buyout is the most likely option it creates three and a half million dollars worth of space uh and so that's i mean honestly that's evan rodriguez or connor sherry either yeah connor sherry i i, I cannot get that one right I will uh, tell a quick story. For years, that's what they called him. And when he moved to Buffalo, somebody asked him how to pronounce it, and he told them that it was the other way. Um, so uh, I struggle with that one because for his time in Pittsburgh, it was Connor Sheary. And since you know being in Buffalo, it's been Sherry. So uh, I apologize for continuing to struggle with that one. But look, uh, I think Nick Bukestad has to go um, one way or another, and, and I think they're going to do that. Um, you know, and then 
you talk about the net mining again. The other factor here is that Pittsburgh doesn't have any picks in the first two rounds this upcoming season. And so I think there's maybe a way to, to trade Murray and either toss in a third rounder to upgrade a pick or to maybe get a second rounder outright. I'll name three teams that I think um, could be viable landing spots and have uh, the kind of return on investment that Pittsburgh would be looking for, and that's Detroit, Edmonton, or New Jersey. Uh, Paul, so that'll be my biggest question for you in, in kind of final thoughts here, because I think we're on the same page about getting rid of Bugstad, but do you think uh, Murray would uh, succeed in Detroit, Edmonton, or New Jersey, or is there maybe another team that you think could be in the market uh, for his services? Boy, I, I when you mentioned those teams, Edmonton jumps off the page for me, AJ. If they could get a bit of an upgrade over their goalie situation, Mike Smith getting a little long in the tooth there, and uh, Miko Koskinen a little young in terms of the experience factor. Uh, that's an area that if you can get a plug in a guy with some experience and a couple of rings on his resume, has to resonate with that club. I don't know if Detroit would be a, a place that Murray would desire going to there in a long-term rebuild, and I don't think the Red Wings pay big for a goalie in that circumstance, so that, that disqualifies them. And I think uh, in New Jersey, they have Mackenzie Blackwood, so I, I think that uh, the best situation of the three that you described is with the Oilers. If they are amenable to that call, uh, a draft pick of a first or second round nature to get a guy with a couple of rings who on a team was ready to make a run makes sense to me of the three that you suggested there and in terms of Nick Bugstead I'm going to throw in another possibility AJ maybe they'd just leave him where he is and that'd be on LTIR giving them some roster flexibility and uh, opportunity to manipulate things under with a bit of an extended uh, rope there and on the salary cap uh, owing to that status but uh, depends on his health situation of course and uh, it's, he's a guy I've been high on for a long time and really underperformed and underwhelmed me uh, despite a number of opportunities to, to kickstart a career with good situations in a couple of landing spots. I thought this one in Pittsburgh was the best of all, but he really didn't grab the brass ring at all. Well, then from there, we'll move on to our final team uh, in this 31 club look, and that's the Washington Capitals. They have 11 forwards, four defensemen, and one goaltender under contract next season. It seems like we're spending all day today talking about netminders, and we'll definitely do that here as well. Uh, their situation comes in at $71 million, so they're only going to have about 10 and a half uh, to fill seven spots on the roster. So there's a lot of work to be done here. It starts off with a relatively small restricted free agent group. They've got just Travis Boyd. And Jonas Siegenthaler, I, I think uh, I think the club could probably get away with giving Siegenthaler a qualifying offer. He doesn't have arbitration rights. Um, but I think nine points in 64, uh, 64 games while averaging about 15 and a half uh, in terms of ice time, I think getting him locked up longer term, um, you know, you look at their, their defensive core right now, um, you know, other than him, the next youngest guy is Dmitry Orlov at 28. There's not a lot of youth in this club. Now, they're a win-now organization, obviously, so youth isn't a primary concern for them. Um, and I get that, but I still think you need to have a couple guys maybe up and coming uh, through the ranks. So I, I would not be shocked to see something like a three-year, $4.5 million deal um, that still makes him the most uh, cost-effective guy um, on the, the lineup right now. Uh, and so something to, to really consider there. 
I think the same can really be said of Travis Boyd. You know, he has logged way less games, just 24 uh, than Seagrenthaler. So I think getting him in at just under, you know, 875 uh, a year for, for two years would really bolster the bottom depth of, of this club and, and both be solid additions there. Uh, Paul, what do you think? Does either of these guys warrant a, a big-time deal here, or do you think kind of minimal deals get it done? I like the focus that you explained around Siegenthaler's situation. Five years junior to anybody else on this defense corps, and if you're looking long-term, you got to start finding the pieces that will fit in there, and I think he expect, he's expected to be one of them, and uh, don't think it's going to be a break-the-bank situation. At best, doubling his uh, current RFA hit would still be less than $1.5 million. So if they can get him on a longer-term deal, say a three-year deal at about a 1.3 or 1.4 AAV, I think they look at that situation. Otherwise, they go shorter uh, with the similar terms, and uh, uh, he, he tries to prove himself worthy of bigger dollars. But the thing about that is they've already committed longer-term to four other defensemen in this group. So I, I think he has to look at the situation and say, I'm the new kid on the block. I should uh, bite the bullet in here and uh, take what I can over a shorter term because some of these other guys might fall out of the picture. And this figures to still be a very good team considering the number of offensive pieces that are locked up long term. So in making that call, I I think it's a consideration for me. And it also impacts Travis Boyd. Uh, His route to a top six role here is completely plugged. So he has to realize he has very little negotiating power, even though he's coming into an age 26 season and off $800,000, I don't think he can do much better than $1 million a year on a short-term deal. In terms of an unrestricted free agent group, you've got uh, Ilya Kovalchuk, Radko Gudis, Brendan Dillon, and Braden Holpe. I think if Kovalchuk's willing to agree to another veteran minimum deal, um, then you bring him back for another kick of the can, especially if he shows he still has something left in the tank during the postseason. Look, at this point in his career, the only point of, of playing uh, in the NHL is is to try and win a Stanley Cup. If this guy wants to get paid significant money, he can go back to Europe. Um, for, for me, I would say Washington should offer him a one-year $900,000 deal. That's about the max I would give him or otherwise let him go test free agency because I don't really think they need him by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think he's certainly a piece they'd like to have, um, but uh, it's it's more about, uh, I think, him trying to win a cup at this point. Um, defensively, I think they're going to need to bring one of these guys back. You know, they've got Martin Fairberry, uh, I think, coming close to being NHL ready, but I think they still need a, a third-pairing defenseman uh, you know, Dylan and Gudis are both heading into the back halves of their career, and I really don't think they offer much in terms of offensive upside. So honestly, what I would do, um, one player that I, I think I've identified that could be a good fit here is Minnesota's Carson Soucy. I think he offers more in terms of long-term scoring potential, could come in significantly cheaper than than either one of those guys around a million dollars. Um, and I think that leaves them some flexibility. You know, unfortunately, Gudis and Dylan are, are going to cost a little bit more. Carson Soucy is younger, I think has the potential to produce offensively and, and somebody that uh, if, if I'm uh, in the Washington front office, he's a player that I'm looking at and, and monitoring to see um, whether or not he hits uh, the open market here. That leaves Washington with just a little over about $4 million to, to try and come to terms with Braden Holpe. 
um, which I, I don't really think is, is going to be enough. But look, he is coming off um, his worst season of his career. He had a .897 save percentage and 3.11 goals against average. Um, that That is his statistically worst season of his career. He does have a Stanley Cup uh, ring now at this point. So I doubt $4 million is going to be enough to make it work. Um, but I certainly would put the offer out there. I think um, Ilya Samsonov is waiting in the wings, ready to take over as the number one netminder. But this, as I have said, is a win-now club, and you will not convince me that they are better off without Braden Holpe uh, in the nets for them. Uh, you know, that's regardless of price tag. But I think if he insists on being closer or above the $6.1 million he made this year, it's just not financially viable for this team, and I think it's time to move on. So, Paul, um, what do you make of this group? Do you bring back Agudis or Dylan? Do you bring back Kovalchuk? And, you know, do let all of them go to try and save more money to try and give to Braden Hopi. What What are your thoughts here? A number of inter- interesting circumstances, AJ. Kovalchuk, for instance, he enjoyed his time in Montreal where he f- finished up the, the, the first part of the year after the trade deadline, uh, up to the trade deadline, rather. And uh, he he really expressed almost an interest to returning to them in the new year but in a new season but you have to wonder he's got some good friends on this club including Ovechkin and if he comes comes through with a nice playoff run for this club I can certainly see him being swayed into returning for another kick at the can next year at a veteran minimum type deal I don't think they they want to do much more than that in in his circumstance the quandary as you suggested is on the blue line for me they have to pick one of Gudas or Dylan to, essentially to me they're the same player so whichever one comes in cheaper is the guy that I go with and uh, that makes that decision a little bit easier though uh, but under other circumstances I would love to have both of them in my lineup they're going to flip a coin there and then, and then it comes down to Braden Holtby's circumstance is he going to be willing to take a bit of a haircut from that 6.1 million dollars this is a new reality in the NHL AJ where the veterans are not guaranteed a big payday right now for the next couple of years and so does he go one year and and say I'll do four I'll do four and a half and and say, take another run at a cup if he doesn't he's going to give way to Ilya Samsonov as the go forward position in net and using his salary to go and spread the money elsewhere and say go by to a guy who's been a, a key part of the success they've had during his 10 years with the, the team well in terms of minor league guys again we have just one so i'm, I'm going to kind of brush over that that's tyler lewington uh he's a capable player adds organizational depth um, but i'm just not sure he's ready to break in as a full-time nhl guy uh, i think a two-year deal again with a modest uptick in in salary should be enough to get that squared away look i've got two kind of options here for for what washington could do if they think that Braden holpe is the way to go and they need to make some money to make that work one option would be to try and trade lars eller in that 3.5 million dollar cap i think he probably would have hit the 40 part mark this uh this past season were it not for the league going on hiatus so his value on the trade market will be relatively high so your two approaches are you trade Eller to bank the cap space and bring back, you know, draft picks or, or something, you know, prospects that aren't going to hurt your cap value. Um, they've got a first round and then a third round pick this upcoming season, no second. So there could be something there. The other option, um, you know, if they uh, still don't think they need to up, you know, uh, re-up Holpe, 
they could try and see if they could get somebody to send back a top four blue liner um, for Lars Eller. I mean, I, I look at this group, you know, especially if you're going to let Gudis uh, and, and Brendan Dillon go, um, you know, you've got Carlson, obviously, and, and Michael Kempney and Nick Jensen are, are capable players, but it's a relatively weak, uh, you know, top four here. Um, and so that might be another option that they go. So I, I think Lars Eller is maybe their best um you know, trade asset here that's not going to totally wreck what they're doing in terms of their forward complement. So um, some, you know, some decisions, some things to think there. Paul, the way I'll put it to you, uh, your options are Braden Holpe, a top four blue liner, or Lars Eller. Which of those three would you most like to keep? I'd like to keep the goalie, uh, be honest with you. He has a good track record, enjoying a nice run, obviously, with the Caps, a team in win-now mode, and uh, partnered with Samsonov. He gets, Samsonov gets a little more seasoning, a little more guidance from a guy who's been around the block and uh, then some, and, and then a good handoff uh, after a short-term deal with Holtby is, is done. Eller is a luxury here, AJ. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more productive third-line center, and he's not threatening the first two guys. He's there as insurance should one of them go down, but they're both proving to be very durable. Of course, Backstrom, I'm talking about Backstrom and Kuznetsov. So that, to me, is a situation they've got to look at and say, we got a third-line center. We're paying him $3.5 million. We've got to use that money a little smarter given the, the limitations that we have. And Eller would jump jump into a top six role on a lot of teams around the league aj that's how good i think this guy can be and he's done this third line role uh, to to a t in washington and really sets himself up as a real good bargaining chip as you suggested to get that flexibility and i i do think the organization is high on Ilya samsonov he's had a very nice start to his career but i don't think you hand the keys to him right now when the rest of the club is poised for an extended run given the way that uh, they've locked up their top, most of their top six forwards and if they, they could find a way to upgrade that defense that, as you suggested by moving a guy like eller i think you you're onto something there well that wraps up our cap compliance series we've broken down all 31 teams and gotten through it all uh you know it's been a, a lot of fun for me paul uh, a lot of hard work as well but uh you know this is the type of content that we like to produce on on rotowire and hopefully we have more of that coming leading up to the playoff series i know there's a bunch of articles um that are gonna get uh you know produced in terms of previews and, and stuff like that some some dfs content as well so um if you haven't already i would encourage you to check these articles out um, if you've never really tried out the site before, you could go to rotowire.com slash free, F-R-E-E, and get yourself set up with a 10-day trial. Dive into this and, and everything else that we're going to have uh, leading into the postseason here. All right, we're ready to turn our attention to another draft series redraft and we're looking at the 2003 amateur class and i know my partner is excited to have the number one pick in this grouping because it's another favorite player of his and you can only guess which team that player played for in the bulk of his career aj i'm giving you this pick as a reward for the great work you've done in this <laughs> series and uh, my hat's off to you there pal and i can't wait for your first pick here yeah, so obviously uh, 2003, he went number one overall to the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, and that is Marc-Andre Fleury. Currently sits uh, first among active players in terms of wins. Him and Henrik Lundqvist continue to battle out for that. Fifth 
all time in his career uh, in career wins, uh, you know, for all players uh, at 466. Uh, you know, Mark Andre Fleury, three time Stanley Cup champion, uh, Vegas Golden Knights starting netminder, and really, I, I think hands down the the best netminder in in this class. Uh, you know, maybe some people from Chicago would would disagree with that a little bit, but I don't even necessarily think you'd get too much argument about that. So uh, definitely, uh, I think warranted the number one overall pick at the time and, and still does. Yeah, I don't doubt that for a second, AJ. And uh, typically, I'd look at the lo- the top scorers in this draft and say, oh, well, he got the most points. He's the guy. But I look at this list and I look at the forwards and I go third third row down in terms of this point production career to date and i land on patrice bergeron aj centering that there's no argument the top line in hockey over the last couple of years in boston and uh, to to boot he is one of the most defensively responsible plays the ultimate two-way game and uh, an easy pick for me as my first pick in this draft he went second a second round to boston 45th overall and boy uh, I don't think you can find more than one or two players that should even be in the conversation at this point for the second best player in this draft. Well, I'm going to actually also skip uh, the leading scorer from this group for, for another uh, another center that, that I think adds a little bit more value, uh, in my opinion. And that's a guy that went in the seventh round, 205th overall. That's Joe Pavelski, uh, you know, for San Jose, uh, you know, also a, a Wisconsin native. I'll just toss that out there as well. Um, 100, uh, 1,030 games, 369 goals over that stretch. And really, I, I think is right there next to uh, next to Bergeron in, in terms of top uh, top players from this this draft. But I, I certainly agree with your point. I, I do agree Bergeron, uh, the best center and, and second best player in this this group. Absolutely, AJ. There's no question about that. A good pick by you on Pavelski. I'm going to take a look at the defense core. Look, there's there's no fewer than 14 players in this this draft year that have played a thousand games in the NHL. And the, to me, I mean, there's four really good defensemen in this class. So uh, you can't go wrong picking any of the four. I'm looking at the top scorer in this draft, drafted by Minnesota 20th overall, Brent, Burn, Brent Burns. I've watched this guy play a lot of games late at night, uh, AJ, from my, the comfort of my home here in the Eastern time zone. And I, I always notice this guy. He tends to dom- dominate play every night that he's on the ice and really a fantasy stud. And I'm, think, I'm talking, of course, of Brent Burns, pick 20th overall and leading the class of scorers among this defense group, playing 1,100 games, t- tallying almost 700 points. He's my pick uh, among the top defensemen in this draft class. I think it's that giant beard that draws your eye to him, Paul, but uh, it's certainly uh, his play on the ice as well. Look, uh, at this point, I would be foolish to pass over uh, the guy selected second overall in this draft by Carolina. That's Eric Stahl. Uh, Has the most games played at 1240, has the most goals at 436, and has the most points. Uh, The only player in this group that is over 1,000 points in his career at this point. Um, And to think that I would potentially have Stahl as my second-line center or move Pavelski to the wing and have Stahl anchor that group gives me a little bit of flexibility, and and I really like having that one-two punch there. Well, we're loading up down the middle early on in this draft. I'm picking the guy who had the highest points per game among this draft class and uh, among the forwards. That's Ryan Getzlaff. He has uh, 965 points in 1,053 games. 
a shade under a point a game player that that works out to and on on the strict point per game basis i get the most productive player among the offensive pieces in this draft well i'll jump to the next defenseman and that's ryan sutter look uh you know he he is second to burns uh in overall points here but he's um you know i think the next best uh, in this group 90 goals 498 assists and again uh you know there there seems to be a theme here uh he is a madison born player uh still very active in the community here so uh, i think i'd be run out of town if i didn't get him on my team so that's two wisconsin boys for me on this club but i have no regrets about it that's for sure absolutely and you know what um kind of surprised that shea weber has not been picked so far but that ends right right here, right now. I mean, injuries have limited him in a couple of the recent years and kind of kept him behind Suter in terms of all, the all, all-time scoring uh, from this draft class. He has the most goals from this draft class from the defense position. In fact, I've got the only two defensemen that are over 200 goals uh, career to date. We were, ta- we were talking off air. This is a draft where we've had guys, a lot of guys who are long in the tooth, but uh, they've had extended careers. They were going back 16 years in terms of the draft, and, and uh, some of them are still going strong. So it's great to see. And uh, Shea Weber uh, on that list for me, uh, uh, a guy who was picked, it's 49th overall in the second round and in the redraft here he goes eighth well paul i I like to give you a hard time because i don't think you delve the depths of these drafts enough uh you you tend to go first second round guys so i'll take the the other fourth uh kind (laughs) of blue liner that we talked about a guy that went in the eighth round 245th overall and that's big Dustin Bufflin uh, again another guy that has had some injuries his games played is only uh, 879 which is pretty low for the top scores in this group or 869 rather but still had 525 points uh, I certainly think were it not for those ankle injuries uh, the last couple of seasons 200 goals would not have been off the table for him and then a guy that I have a lot of time for, he plays the game the way I love it played and partners up with a guy that he had great success with, success with for the most part of his career, although he's moved on. Corey Perry will always be known as one of the foremost players in Anaheim Ducks history based on his efforts there, including a cup win. And he gets the fifth round pick for me. He was picked 28th overall. Yeah, call me a, a first round hog, a second round hog, if you will. But I can't pass up on Corey Perry in my fifth slot well i will just work our way down the the point total list at at this point and uh that's going to be zach parisi uh you know went 17th overall for new jersey uh is second in in this draft class in terms of goals uh and and really a a fantastic winger i've really kind of centralized all, all with the exception of flurry everybody i've pretty much picked has been roughly in the minnesota wisconsin area Um, homer 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 (laughs) (laughs) but yeah zach parisi to to go on the wing here all right and uh i wonder if i should stick with the four ranks i think i will and i'm going to skip the next guy in the ranking to go down to another guy who's played a thousand games in the league and a proven goal scorer in this league with 382 markers he was picked 11th overall and that's uh, pretty close to where he's picked in this draft i'm picking him with my the 12th pick in this draft and that's jeff carter uh philadelphia flyers los angeles kings uh his homes during his nhl career 
Well, I guess uh, then since you skipped him over, I will go uh, and stick with my regional bias. Uh, not not a uh, U.S. born player, but went to the University of Minnesota. That's Thomas Vanek, selected fifth overall by Buffalo. A thousand twenty nine games under under his belt, three hundred seventy three goals over that stretch, and really a fantastic career with with multiple stops uh, across the league. And I'm going to go back to the defense class. And early in this guy's career, he was an absolute terror, AJ. Kind of faded in the last couple of years. And uh, the big contract in Toronto kind of signaled a change in course for his career path. But early on, Dion Phaneuf was really highly regarded in this league. And right out of the draft, ninth overall from the Red Deer Devils, played in uh, in uh, the same province for much of his career in Calgary with outstanding scoring totals. He is another guy that topped 100 goals in this class. I got three shooters on the defense that are over 100 goals, so I'm happy to round out my defense core to date with the addition of Dion Phaneuf. Well, I will stick uh, with with the forward compliment here and a, a guy that needs just one more uh, tally to get to 300 goals. That's, that's Dustin Brown. Um, you know, selected uh, 13th overall by the Kings. Uh, as I said, 299 goals. Honestly, he'd already be there were it not um, for the the lockouts um, when those when those cropped up twice in his career here. And so, uh, I expect him to continue. Uh, and really, the the ability to put Brown on a on a second line with with Eric Stahl. Uh, is really uh, quite a luxury in terms of the forward complement. Yeah, I'm going to pivot to the forwards as well and uh, skip a few in terms of the scoring hierarchy and look at a guy whose career was derailed by injuries, but while he was active, particularly in the early trajectory, a top six forward on the Philadelphia Flyers and a, a guy that played the game in a gritty manner and uh, was tougher than he looked. Uh, Mike Richards is the guy that I'm picking there. He wound up only playing 749 games. I say only because we mentioned 14 guys in this class topped 1,000 games played. He had 487 points. That gap would have been much narrow in terms of point-per-game production if you take out the last couple of seasons that were marred heavily by injury issues. Well, I'm going to look uh, for another goal-scoring winger. And really, I, I'm down to, to two guys here to um, you know that I'm kind of between, and I would guess maybe you'll pick the other one but maybe not and i'm trying to decide between louis erickson who has 250 goals or david backus who has 245 ultimately i think because backus is still playing uh, at a high level louis erickson has really struggled to produce the last couple of years um and so for me i think when it's all said and done with a few more years here for both guys i think david backus will uh, creep up ahead uh, and be the better goal scorer between these two yeah I, I think you made the right pick there AJ in fact I'm going to underline that by avoiding Louis Erickson he really has done himself a disservice with the last couple of years and that big contract uh, a number of people would shy away from him given what he's done I like a guy who look at a guy who uh, played the game plays the game very hard and right now he's paying for it because he's sidelined with uh, serious injuries and he may not be able to play another game but he had been productive as a, a real pest pest of a player a guy who was got the checking line role as a center many of in many of his stops uh, with Vancouver uh, in the early part of his career and uh, the injury struggles limited his scoring 573 points in a thousand and one games that's Ryan Kessler 23rd pick overall by the Canucks back in this draft all right well that leaves me with my last 
uh, last pick here, and I, I do like to usually use it on somebody fun uh, that, that I really uh, enjoyed in the league. And so for me, uh, I'm going to go with uh, the gritty uh, Tanner Glass, uh, a player that really um, you know played a, a heavy game, uh, certainly logged his fair share of, of fights over the course of his career, um, you know, spent some time. Uh, with my Penguins uh, for a couple of years, keeping an eye on Sid the Kid there. And so uh, I'll, I'll pick Tanner Glass to add a little bit of grit, a little bit of toughness uh, to round out my, my team. And uh, I'm going to uh, look at the goalie situation with a little in a little more detail now, AJ, with my last pick. I was looking at the resume of Corey Crawford. When, the, when you see that name in this class, you think, okay, name recognition and what he's done in the league and accomplished surely the second best goalie in the class but when i dove into the numbers a little bit i wound up on yarrow halak's page and the guy despite the fact the guy bounced around to five or six different teams aj the numbers that he put up in terms of win percentage goals against shutouts save percentage they're all better than Corey crawford so on that basis and maybe a bit of a surprise i want to get your reaction on this but i'm picking yarrow halak well, I mean, the the numbers don't lie. Um, obviously, Crawford has has the Stanley Cup uh, championships, and and honestly, the pick goes against the the hard time I was giving you about uh, you know Halak going. Uh, Halak is a ninth rounder as opposed to Corey Crawford a second, but I still think you should have picked the guy who went second to last in the entire group if you really wanted to delve uh, the depths of of the netminders here, and that's Brian Elliott. But you know that could also just be. Uh, my Regency bias uh, cropping up again, considering Brian Elliott uh, um, played, uh, you know, locally here for for the the Badgers. Well, you throw in extra value. Provided a geography class for us today, finding all the <laughs> regional guys that were of influence, and I give you credit for that too. Good research on your part to know their backgrounds that that well. Uh, I share the affinity for for local products here. In, in the GTA, one of the more prolific breeding grounds for hockey players, too, over, over time. Uh, but, uh, AJ, I've enjoyed this series of drafting and the series of our articles, but we're going to get back to our roots next week when we start to do the playoff previews, and I can't wait to get back into that. Are you as excited as I am that hockey's returning in a, a short couple of weeks? We hope. Yeah, I mean, as, as long as things don't go off the rails here, um, it, it looks like we're trending in that direction. We've got uh game dates uh august 1st is is going to be like christmas uh that's for sure although you know you we talked about uh you know having hockey widows unfortunately that first weekend is my wife's birthday Uh so um (laughs) i may not be able to watch quite as much hockey as i other would uh that first weekend but you know the other exciting thing uh you know we're gonna have daytime hockey which you know maybe that's not exciting for (laughs) For some people whose jobs are a little bit more uh, not as flexible, but you figure we're all most of us are, are working from home these days. So you should be able to turn on the game uh, while you're while you're getting your work done at home. A lot of people have uh, surprised their partners that they've managed to survive this process with four months of no hockey. AJ, at my home, my wife has constantly been astonished by the fact that I haven't been shriveled up in a corner of our house waiting for hockey to (laughs) resume, but uh, she's in for a rude awakening. I've tried to preview her on the fact that I will stay up in the middle of the night probably watching table tennis championships 
going forward uh, uh, <laughs> to really fill the void and then some. But I can't wait for the hockey to resume and uh, looking forward to that Western Conference preview next week when we reload here. Uh, that wraps up this episode of Puckcast, folks, with the Statsman and AJ. Our next episode tentatively scheduled to take place next Tuesday. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning research. So long, everybody. 